My Favorite Theorem, a podcast about math and I don't even know what it's going to be today. We'll find out. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. Here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah. So yeah, how are you today? Uh, I've had a busy week. My, uh, both of my PhD students defended on Monday. Um, wow, congratulations. Yeah, and you know, through some weird quirk of my career, these are my first two PhD students. And uh, it, was, it, was, um, it was a nice time, uh, slightly nerve wracking here and there, but uh, everybody went through, everything's good. So we have, Great. we have two new professors out there. Well, one guy's gonna go to industry, but uh, yeah, how about you? Um, I'm, I actually, once we're done with this, I need to go pack for a trip I'm leaving on today. I'm uh, teaching a math writing workshop at Ohio State. Oh, right. I saw so, that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it goes well, then we'll leave this part in the, the thing. And you know, <laughs> if it doesn't, no one else will know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Good. Well, Ellen and I are going to Seattle this weekend. She got invited to be on a, a panel at the Bainbridge Island Art Museum, and I thought, I'm going along because I like Oh, yeah, Seattle. it's beautiful there. Yeah, love it there. So anyway, anyway, enough about us. Uh, today, we are pleased to welcome uh, Moon Duchin to the show. Moon, uh, why, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm Moon. I am a mathematician at Tufts University, um, where I'm also affiliated with the um, College of Civic Life. Uh, it's a cool thing Tufts has that not everybody has. And in, in math, my specialties are geometric group theory, uh, topology, especially low dimensional topology, and dynamics. Very cool. Um, yeah, and so how does this uh, civil life thing work? <laughs> civic life, right? Yeah. So uh, that's oh, yeah, because, sorry. <laughs> uh, that, that's sort of because in the last couple of years, I've become really interested in politics and in applications. I think of it as applications of math to civil rights. So that's that's sort of mathematics engaging with civics, with kind of how we do government. Um, so that's become a pretty strong locus of, of my energy in the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'll vouch for Moon's work here. I mean, I've, I've gone to a couple of the workshops that, that she's put together, a uh, big one at Tufts in 2017, I guess it was, and then last December, uh, this meeting at, at, uh, at Radcliffe. Really cool stuff, uh, really important work, um, and, and I've gotten interested in it too. Uh, and let's let, let's hope we can begin to turn some tides here. But uh, yeah. anyway, but enough about that. Uh, so, Moon, uh, what's your favorite theorem? All right. So I want to tell you about what I think is a really beautiful theorem that is known to some as Gromov's Gap. Okay. Which also sounds like it could be the name of a mountain pass in the Urals or something. I was thinking it sounds like it could be, you know, in there with the mines of Moria in Middle Earth. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you toss the dwarf across the gap. Um, <laughs> right, it does sound like that. But of course, it's Misha Gromov, who is the very prolific Russian-French mathematician who works in all kinds of geometry, differential geometry, groups, and so on. Um, so what the theorem is about is um, what kinds of shapes can you see in groups? So, uh, so let me set that up a little with, uh, you know, let me set the stage, and then I'll tell you the result. Okay. So uh, here's the setting. Um, suppose you want to understand, so this is the, the central objects in geometric group theory are, well, groups. Uh, so what are groups? Of course, those are sets where you can do an operation. So you can think of that as addition or multiplication. It's just some sort of composition that tells you how to put 
elements together to get another element. And geometric group theory is the idea that you can get a handle on the way groups work. They're algebraic objects, but you can study them in terms of shape geometrically. So there's two basic ways to do that. Either you can look at the spaces that they act on, in other words, spaces where they, that group tells you how to move around, or you can look at the group itself as a network and then try to understand the shape of that network. Um, so let's stick with that second point of view for a moment. So that says, you know, the group has lots of elements and instructions for how to put things together um, to move around. So I like to think of the network, um, a, a really good way to wrap your mind around that is to think about chess pieces. So if I have a chess board and I pick a piece, maybe I pick the queen, maybe I pick the knight, there are instructions for how it can move. And then imagine the network where you connect two squares if your piece can get between them in one step. Right? Okay. So, um, of course, that's going to make a different network for a knight than it would for a queen and so on. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, that's how to visualize a group, especially in infinite groups. This works particularly well for infinite groups. That's how to visualize a group as a bunch of points and a bunch of edges. So, it's some big graph or network. And then... GGT, geometric group theory, says what's the shape of that network? Is it, especially when you view it from a distance, does it look flat? Does it look negatively curved like a saddle surface? Or does it kind of curve around on itself like a sphere? You know, what is that group? What's the shape of the group? Mm -hmm. And actually, just a, a cool observation from, you know, 100 plus years ago, observation of Felix Klein, is that actually the two points of view, the spaces that the group act on or the group itself, those are those really are telling the same story. So the shape of the space is about the same as the shape of the group. This is a, that's become codified as kind of a fundamental observation in in GGT. Okay, great. So that's that's the space I want to think about. Um, what is the shape? What are the possible shapes of groups? Okay, and that's where Gromov kicks in. So the theorem is about the relationship of area to perimeter. And here's what I mean by that: um, form a loop in your space in your network. And here, a loop just means you start at a point, you wander around with a path, and you end up back where you started. Okay, And then look at the efficient ways to fill that in with area. So like visualize that like first you have an outline, and then you try to fill it in with maybe some sort of potato chippy surface that, <laughs> uh, right, that, that kind of interpolates around that boundary. OK, so um, the question is, which are the, if you look at shapes that have the, the kind of extremal relationship of area to perimeter, then what is the relationship of area to perimeter? So let's do that in Euclidean space first because it's really familiar. So we know that the extremal shapes there are circles, and you fill those in with disks. And the relationship is that area looks about like perimeter squared, right? Right. Okay, great. So now here's the theorem then. Get ready for it. I love this theorem. In, in groups, you can find groups um, where area looks like perimeter to the k power. It can look like perimeter to the one, it can look like perimeter to the two or three or four and so on. You can build designer groups with any of those exponents, right? Um, but furthermore, you can also get rational exponents. You can get pretty much any rational exponent you want. You can get 113 over five, you can get, oh, wow. you know, 33 over 10. You pick your favorite exponent and you can, can do you it. Can you get less than one? Well, well, let's come back to that. Okay, right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So let me state Gromov's theorem in, in this level of generality. So here's the theorem. You can get pretty much any exponent that you want as long as it's not between 1 and 2. Wow. Oh. Isn't that cool? That's Gromov's gap. 
Okay. So there's, okay. This, there's this wasteland between one and two that's unachievable. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And then you can see past two, you can see anything. Um, and actually it turns out it's not just rationals. You can see lots of other kinds of algebraic numbers too. Sure. Um, and the closure up there is everything from two to infinity, but nothing between one and two. It's a gap. Oh, wow. That's so cool. That's, That's neat, right? Um, Alan, to answer your question, um, under one turns out not to really be well-defined for reasons okay. we could talk about, but yeah. This is remarkable. This sounds like something Gromov would prove, right? I mean, just these, these, like, like there's these weird theorems out of nowhere. You think, how could that be true? And then there it is. Yeah. Or, or that Gromov would state and leave other people to prove. That's right? yeah. That's really <laughs> more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you can't get uh, area to the or perimeter to the three halves. I mean, or that's right. that, that's really uh, okay. Is there any intuition for why you can't get things between one and two? Yeah, there there kind of is, and it's and it's beautiful. Um, it, it is that the stuff that sits at the exponent one, in other words, where area is proportional to perimeter, mm -hmm. is just really qualitatively different from everything else. Hence the okay. gulf, right? And what is that mm -hmm. stuff? Uh, that is hyperbolic groups. So this this comes back to to Avalon's wheelhouse, I believe. Um, been a while since I thought in a research way about this, but but yes, vaguely at the distance of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> Let me refresh your memory. <laughs> um, yeah, so so negatively curved things, things that are saddle shaped, those are the ones where area is proportional to perimeter, and everything else is just in a different regime. And that's really what this theorem is telling you. Um, okay. So um, that's that's one beautiful point of view and kind of intuition that there's a there's this qualitative difference happening there, but um, there's something there's so many things I love about this theorem. It's just the gateway to lots of beautiful math. Um, but one of the things I love about this theorem is that it fails in higher dimension, which is really neat. So if you instead of filling a loop with area, if you were to fill a shell with volume, there would be no gap. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yes. Cool, right? So this is like the right way to measure it if you want to find this difference in how these groups behave. Absolutely. This and you know another way to, to say it is this this is an alternative definition of hyperbolic group from the usual one. It's like the right way to pick out these special groups from everything else is specifically to look at filling loops. Right. Right. And and I might be wrong here, but aren't most groups hyperbolic? Is that yeah, so that's definitely the kind of religious philosophy that's yeah. <laughs> that's espoused. Um, but you know, to talk about most groups, <clears throat> excuse me, usually the way people do that is they talk about kind of random constructions of groups, um, and a lot of that is pretty sensitive to the way you set up what random means. Sure. But yeah, yeah, that's definitely the the kind of slogan that you hear a lot in geometric group theory is that hyperbolic groups are special, but they're also generic. <laughs> Yeah. So, so are there explicit constructions of groups with, say, exponent 33 over 10, to pick an example? Yes, there are. Yeah, and and uh, and actually, if you're if you're going to end up writing this up, I can send you some links to beautiful papers that show yeah, you how yeah. to do this kind of. But there, there's like a recipe kind of where you're like, oh, I like this exponent, I can cook up this group. Yeah, and that's why I kind of call them designer groups. Okay. Oh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your bespoke uh, groups here. Yeah, there are constructions that do these things. That's remarkable. So, see, I was going to guess that your favorite theorem was the isoparametric inequality, but I guess this kind of is, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> right? So the isoparametric inequality is all about asking what 
is the extreme moral relationship of area to perimeter. And so right. this is exactly that, but it's in the setting of groups. Yeah, yeah. So how did you first come across this theorem? Um, well, I guess <laughs> in uh, it, it, when you're in the kind of areas of, of geometric topology, geometric group theory, there's this one book that we sometimes call the Bible. Here I'm leaning on this religious metaphor again, <laughs> which is this this great book by Bryanson and Hafliger called Metric Spaces of Non-Positive Curvature. Mm -hmm. And it really does feel like a Bible. It's this fat volume. You always want it around. You flip to the stuff you need. You don't really read it cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Bible, yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> That's, um, and... Uh, I th that's certainly where I first saw it proved. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the ideas that circulate around this theorem are really the, the fundamental ideas in, in GGT. So, so okay, great. Um, uh, does this come up in your own work a lot? Do you use this uh, to, for things you do, or is this just like something that you love, you know, for its own sake? Um, so, I, yeah, no, it does come up in my own work in a couple ways. But, but one is um, I, I got interested in the relationship between um, curvature and uh, curvature in the, the kind of the various senses that come from classical geometry. Mm -hmm. I got interested in the relationship between that and other notions of shape in, in networks. Mm -hmm. um, so this theorem takes you right there. And so, for instance, I have a, a paper of a theorem with uh, Le Lièvre and Mooney where we look at um, uh, something really similar, which is, we, we call it sprawl. It's how spread out um, do you get when you start at a point and you look at all the different positions you can get to within a certain distance. So you look at a kind of ball around the point, and then you ask, how, how far apart are the points in that ball from each other? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's actually a pretty fun question. Um, and it, it turns out, here's another one of these theorems where hyperbolic stuff, there's just a gap between that and everything else. Right. So, um, so, so let's, let's, let's follow that through for a minute. So suppose you start at a base point and you take the ball of radius R around that base point. And then you ask, how far apart are the points in that ball from each other? Well, of course, by the triangle inequality, the farthest part that could possibly be is 2R because you can connect them through the center to each other right. by 2R. Okay. So then you could ask, hmm, I wonder if there's a space that's so sprawling, so spread out, so much like, you know, Houston, <laughs> right? <laughs> so sprawling that the average distance is actually the maximum. Yeah. <laughs> right? What if the average distance between two points is actually equal to 2R? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, so that's something that we proved. We proved that when, when you're negatively curved, um, uh, and you have, you know, a few other mild conditions, basically, but, but certainly true for negatively curved groups, just like the setting of Gromov's theorem. So for negatively curved groups, the average is the maximum. You're as sprawling as you can be. And wow, that, that okay. yeah, isn't that neat? So that, um, that's, that's very much in the vein of this, sure. of this kind of result. Oh, that's very cool. All right. Good. Yeah, kind of like the SNCF metric also, where you have to go to Paris to go right. anywhere yeah. else. It, <laughs> I mean, it's slightly Which, different, but, um, still that you basically you have to go into the center to get to the other side. It's exactly the same collection of ideas. And I'm just back from Europe where I can attest that 
it's really true. You want to get from point to point on the periphery of France, you better be going through Paris if you want to do it fast. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. precisely the same idea, right? Yeah. So the average distance between points on the periphery of France will be get to Paris and get to the other point, right? right? So it, it'll be, there, there's, a, there's a max there that's also realized. Hmm. All right, so, so, so France is hyperbolic. France is hyperbolic. Yeah. Fran yeah. Mm -hmm. In terms of travel, yeah, very time. appropriate. It's yeah. such a great country. Why yeah. wouldn't it be hyperbolic? <laughs> All right. So the other fun thing on this podcast is we ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So what pairs well with Gromov's gap theorem? So I'm actually going to claim that it pairs beautifully with politics. Right. Okay. True to form. True to form. All right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. So let me try and make that connection. So. Um, well, I got I got really interested in the last few years in uh, gerrymandering in in voting districts, and you know classically one of the ways that we know that a district is problematic is exactly the same way that it's 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 built very inefficiently. It has too much perimeter. It has too much boundary. It has a long, wiggly, winding boundary without enclosing very much area. That's been a long-standing measurement of. Uh, you know, kind of the fairness or the reasonableness of a district. So I got interested in that through uh, the lights of this kind of network curvature stuff um, with the idea that maybe the problem is in the relationship between area and perimeter. And so what does that make you want to do if you're me? <laughs> <laughs> it makes you want to take a state and look at it as a network. And you can do that with census data. You sort of take the little chunks of census geography and connect the ones that are next to each other. And presto, you have a network. And it's a pretty big network, but it's yeah. finite. Yeah. So like, you know, Pennsylvania's got about 9,000 precincts. So that's, you can make a graph out of that. But it's got a whole lot more census blocks. Virginia, we were just looking at Virginia recently, 300,000 census blocks. So that's a pretty big network, but you know, still, Super duper finite, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you can sort of ask the same question. What's the shape of that network? And does that, um, you know, maybe the idea is if the network itself, which is neutral, no one's doing any gerrymandering. That's just where the people are. Yeah. If the network, network itself is, is negatively curved in some sense, then maybe that explains large perimeters uh, in a reason that isn't due to political malfeasance, you know? Right. Um, so I think uh, this is a way of thinking about shape and possibility that lends itself to lots of problems. But I like to pair everything with politics these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I really, I think, so I went to your talk uh, at the joint math meetings a couple of years ago, which I know is, it, you've probably given similar talks talking about gerrymandering. I think it's really important for people not to take too simplistic a view and just say, oh, here's a weird shape. And you were, you did a really great job of showing like, there are sometimes good reasons for weird shapes. It, obvious things like there's a river here and right. people end up, you know, grouping like this around the river for this reason. But there are a lot of different reasons for this. And if we want to talk about this in a way that can actually be productive, we have to be very nuanced about this and understand all of those subtleties, which are mixing the, the math. We can't just divorce it from, from the world. We mix the math from, you know, the underlying civil rights and, you know, politics, historic inequalities in different groups and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's definitely the point of view that, that I've been preaching, to stick with the religious metaphor, <laughs> um, is the one that says, if you want to understand 
what should be out of bounds because it's unreasonable when it comes to redistricting, first you have to understand the lay of the land. You have to spec out the landscape of what's possible. And like you're saying, you know, that landscape can have lots of built-in structure that districting has to um, respect. So, um, yeah, you should really, and that could be physical geography, like you mentioned rivers, but it could also be human geography, just sort of people distribute themselves in very particular ways. And districting isn't done with respect to like imaginary people. It's done with respect to the real actual people and where they live. Yeah. And that's why I, I've really, you know, I think more and more that some of those same tools that we use to study the networks of infinite groups, we can bring those to bear to study the large finite networks of people and uh, yeah. how they live and how we want to divide them up. Yeah, that's that's a nice pairing. That's uh, maybe one of the uh, weightier pairings we've had yeah, on right, the right. show. It was either that or a poem, but <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, Gromov's Gap, maybe I could pair that with the wasteland. Because ah. you can't get oh. in the wasteland between exponents one and two. Yeah. And I was like, nah, let's yeah. go with politics. Well, I, I've tried to read that poem a few times, and I always feel like I need someone to hold my hand and like point everything out to me. Um, it's like, I, I know there's something something there but i yeah yeah i haven't quite grabbed onto it yet poetry is like math better with a tour guide <laughs> yes <laughs> well uh we also like to give our guests a chance to to plug things you want to tell everyone where they can find you online and 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 maybe about the mggg sure yeah absolutely um so i co-lead a working group called mggg the metric geometry and gerrymandering group together with a computer scientist named justin solomon who's over at mit and uh, you can visit us online at mggg.org, where we have lots of cool things to look at, such as uh, the brief we filed with the Supreme Court a couple weeks ago, which just yesterday was actually quoted in oral argument, which was pretty exciting, um, if, if quoted in a surprising way. Um, <laughs> uh, you can also find cool software tools that we've been developing, like our tool called Districter, let, lets you draw your own districts and kind of see, try your own hand at either gerrymandering or at fair districting, and gives you a sense of how hard that is. Yeah. Um, we think it's one of the more user-friendly districting tools out there, so uh, lots of different research links and software tools and resources on our site. So that would be, that'd be fun if uh, people want to check that out and give us feedback. Um, other things I want to mention. Oh, I guess I'm going to do the 538 politics podcast tomorrow talking oh, about this nice. new Supreme court case. Yeah. Very cool. So I think that'll be fun. Uh, that those are some smart folks over there who've thought a lot about some of the different ways of measuring gerrymandering. So I think that'll be a pretty high level conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. They, they, they turn theirs around real fast. Like, this will be months from now, right? I see. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, by the time this comes out, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have yet another uh, Supreme Court decision on gerrymandering that will... Uh... Mm, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be handling the fallout from... Yeah. All right, well, this has been great fun, Moon. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Moon. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Baochan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. 
We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs> <laughs>